navigating the datascape with Chris Presley and special guests. Hi, and thanks for joining us on the Datascape podcast. This is our Google Next 2019 special. This year, my team and I attended and manned the Pythian booth, which was really a great experience for us. We got to meet some current customers, some podcast listeners, several Googlers, and a whole lot of potential customers, as well as cloud enthusiasts. We had a lot of great conversations there. And as a result of that, a shameless teaser, in an upcoming episode, we'll be joined by at least one, if not a few, of the Google program managers to talk about their varying technologies. So very much looking forward to creating those episodes and sharing those conversations with you. For today's show, I'm welcoming my newest team member, Stefan Freshet. Welcome to the show, Stefan. How are you? Very good. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to join. Great to have you. Stefan is a new addition to my team, but an old friend. Uh, and we're, we're very pleased to have him join us as well as join us on the podcast today. We've had several conversations and just haven't been able to line up the time. So Stefan, can you help the audience get to know you and give us a brief overview of your career? Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. So I started off, so I, I hold a bachelor in accounting and finance, as weird as it may sound, but that's how I started off my career. And at the early stage, I really wasn't interested in computers and programming. So I made the actual leap. And at first, I joined a quick startup here locally in providing internet and database backend support. And after that, I actually joined a company called Avanade. I started off as a consultant and I made my way through a leadership and I was actually leading the BI practice in Canada. So that was really interesting. For a small leap of time, I actually went rogue and independent and started my little consultant thing. And one of the biggest moves is I joined Microsoft. So prior to joining, I was a cloud solution architect, data platform at Microsoft. And for the last two, three years, I've invested a lot personally within the GCP platform. And that was a game changer for me. So I decided to move forward within my career. And then because uh, we, we know each other very well, I decided to make the leap. And wow, what a good choice that I did. So now fully on the Google Cloud platform, helping customers through inceptions and designs and the journey to the Google Cloud platform. So, so I think the audience will be very interested in knowing a little bit more about the differences between the two clouds. I mean, probably one of the most popular questions I get asked anytime is, which cloud should I use for me? And the answer is always, it depends, of course. But you, sir, are an expert in Azure and now an expert in Google. This wasn't the plan for the show, but I think it's just super interesting. What interested you in moving over to the Google side? Very good question, Chris. Actually, there's a lot of, I wouldn't say interdependencies, but there, there are similar offerings in the different cloud vendors. My jump and my leap of faith to, to, to go to the GCP platform and invest time to it was really more the, the ease and how Google has positioned themselves to help customers. So if you compare it to AWS and Amazon, which have, have been added for quite a while, just the experience of logging into the platform and understanding the breadth of services and offerings that they have is much more easier, I personally think, on the Google platform than let's compare this to Azure and AWS. And also to, to consider is that there's a, a little bit less offerings right now from the GCP perspective. It's more easy to navigate and understand. So that was really with the triggering. But there is some similar offerings, but I think Google is well suited in the long run to win that battle against the other ones, or at least move up the food chain and be a little bit more competitive. True, And we're seeing that right now with the ingest of customers, 
requesting or demanding, hey, what, what is Google? How can you help us? We're looking to migrate some of our, our data offerings or warehouse to the GCP platform. So it's really interesting times. And I think it's only going to get better for us, Drew. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. So let's talk a little bit about, well, let's, let's move on to Google next. Did you notice a particular theme this year? Well, I guess going on from the Google Next last year, which I didn't attend, but it was really entrenched in, in learning and what did happen over there is that I think Google is still focusing on the enterprise again. I think that is key and a cornerstone for Google to move forward in the relation to adoptability within the community. So essentially, Google is making really hybrid cloud a first-class citizen on their platform. So this is a reality. So Anthos was the biggest announcement at the first day of the keynote, and it's all about enabling a customer working in smarter, better, and more secure in the cloud. So you'll be able to deploy these workloads into hybrid cloud environment or on-prem. So again, that was awesome. Okay, so let's get a little bit deeper. Could you explain, like hybrid cloud can mean a lot of different things. It might mean, you know, I've got some stuff on-prem and some stuff on a public cloud. It might be, you know, something else. What exactly is Anthos? So Anthos is the new name for uh, what Google announced last year as uh, the Google Cloud Service Platform. So it's a, it's a managed service that allows enterprise to run their applications and portfolio into the either their private data centers and in the Google Cloud. So that's what they consider and they talk about this hybrid. And Anthos will run on third-party clouds, and that's what I was saying earlier. So it, including AWS and Azure. And again, this is all powered through GKE clusters, Kubernetes within GCP. So imagine that customers will be able to not only leverage the GCP platform, but if they want to offset some of their workloads or they have current workloads in other cloud vendors like Azure and AWS, that makes it possible. So all the control plane will be from the Google platform perspective, but it gives them opportunity. So some of them will feel locked in into specific vendor offering. So I think that is a key game changer for that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I remember at the show, everybody thought this was a pretty big deal and pretty interesting that they're, you know, making software or making things that run on their competitors' clouds that will roll up to them. I'm immediately curious, though, about what connectivity is going to be like between, you know, AWS or Azure and GCP. What does that connectivity look like? Is there some sort of backbone in place or does it just run through the regular Internet? Uh, can you tell me anything about that? I don't know all the intricacies of detail, but I think if I recollect at the demo that they did at the uh, Google Next event when they were doing the keynote, they showed how they can easily connect to an AWS uh, front where another load of GKE clusters was running. So that connectivity is well through backbone and intranet, assuming that is a from a secure channel perspective. Yeah, so everything encrypted through the wire. But yeah, so essentially that's how we would definitely work. I don't know all the infinite details on the actual setup, but it's. I think it's something that Google knows well, I and mean, it will absolutely share in due time, but it is available now, true. So now people can start overseeing and putting together proven architectures that they would like to, to start consuming hybrid clouds. Okay. And, and for those who are not quite as technical, what's a GKE cluster? GKE stands for Google Kubernetes Engine. So as we all know, Google has put their offering or, or they're the ones that actually started off Kubernetes and they decided to open source this to the world. So that's why it's running on other vendors' platforms also. So it's all about containerized deployment. So okay. run once, run anywhere. So that's typically what the GK clusters are offering. Okay. And lastly, before we move away from this topic, what types of workloads can you run on GKE clusters? 
pretty much anything. So most what we're seeing from experience is that a lot of folks are want to migrate some of their existing platform or retooling their platform that they have on on prem. So they would use or start decoupling their architecture in microservices. So the best way to do that is to use GKE clusters or Kubernetes to leverage the benefit of the cloud and uh, transport or re rewrite these applications in a more decoupled microservices way. So that gives you benefit into not only manageability, maintainability, but if you have like a proper CI/CD processes in place, that eases the journey and the actual administration and manageability of the platform or solution that you have. Okay, okay, good. And so another one of the announcements that you wanted to talk about was the open source integrations into the Google Cloud Console. What does that mean? So that was also a game changer for me and I hope for everybody else. So if you compare without naming names, there's other cloud vendors out there that are not as nice with the open source community out there. So Google decided to change not necessarily to, to change this, but they're bringing other related companies as uh, first class citizens within the Google platform. So companies like Confluent, Datastax, Elastic, Neo4j, which is I'm a big fan of Influx Data for Time Series Analysis, MongoDB, and even Redis. These will have a presence within the GCP platform. So once you start consuming or you're in the uh, GCP platform, you'll be able to use these services directly from the GCP console. So that's a huge game changer. So a lot of enterprises and organizations are using these open source software, and then Google is committed to make them the first party services within their platform. Okay. They're huge enough. Yeah, that, that is huge. That is huge. And let's talk about Cloud Run. Cloud Run is interesting. It's currently in beta. It's a serverless compute that enables customers to run stateless HTTP-driven containers without worrying about the infrastructure. And it supports all language and platforms, and you can run any fully serverless offering. It takes care of all the infrastructure, including provisioning, configuration, and scaling. And it automatically scales up within minimal seconds, though. So there's no downtimes depending on the traffic and ensures that you only pay the resources that you actually use. So this is a type of offering that you can actually embed in existing applications and it scales really well. So again, a huge offering from the Google Cloud Platform. So. so as I look at many of the announcements that we are talking about today, and I think about what you've, you've been talking about, I haven't noticed a lot of infrastructure as a service or IaaS related hype or or even announcements i'm sure there might be you know a little thing here or there did you notice any is announcements that particularly stuck out to you i'm sure there was i didn't pay enough attention to that not that i'm definitely not interested but i, I actually was banging on some of the announcements that we had assumptions that were going to be announced but i'm sure there was some announcement and the only one i think i recall was the shield of vms that are actually in ga but besides that unfortunately i i didn't pay too much attention and that's probably my bad but i'm looking forward to indulge in some of the announcements and getting a further understanding of what they provide on the gcp platform well you know and, and then you know it's a very politically correct answer but the reality is I, th I think i didn't notice any either and i mean obviously i pay attention too and i, I was there other than shielded vms and there's probably a few others but really no nothing you know that caused any hype or or even excitement or disappointment. And I think that that is, for our listeners, a really good sign of what the trend is, at least in the Google Cloud, and their approach to how they do cloud, and possibly for the industry as a whole, and the way computing will be done. You know, 
will more and more things just be completely managed services platform style or database as a service style thing. So something to, to you know, kind of pay attention to. So Stefan, one to also, I know that speaking of one that caused a lot of hype, I mean, this did in, in my circles, talk to us about the new cloud SQL offering. Indeed, just because of my prior past, I used to be a Microsoft SQL MVP. So I'm really a uh, SQL server speaks dearly to me. So what an announcement. So I think customers were asking and requesting. So Cloud SQL's current offering was Postgres and, and MySQL. So guess what? Now SQL Server is coming to the table. So an enterprise database managed for you. So that will be the expansion to their current portfolio. And it's a fully managed relational database services. You can bring your own license. And yeah, that's definitely a game changer running Microsoft SQL Server workloads within the GCP platform. So my assumption in that is that we'll see a lot of traction and customers wanted to actually partake and actually move some of their existing current workloads on-prem to the cloud with this offering. The other thing to mention, which is really interesting related to the Windows and SQL Server, is that Google has actually announced, and I think it will be in alpha, is the managed service Microsoft Active Directory. Not only can you bring your Windows workload or SQL Server workloads to the GCP platform, but adding Active Directory, which is all the syncing related to uh, moving your logins and your security to Active Directory, is a game changer also. So not only that, so that will bridge the gap also. And maybe a question or a customer, they'll say, hey, let's let's do this. Let's jump on the GCP platform. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, I remember the reaction around me for SQL Server and on my Slack. That was big, but, you know, Active Directory is pretty huge too. While it may not be technologically interesting to, you know, those of us who, who are in tech, from a strategic point, it was a excellent move by Google, because if you're a Microsoft shop, if you can't have Active Directory, you know, that is just one more big hurdle to using another cloud, because we all know that security is all the rage and, and should be. So I, I thought that was just, like you said, a game changer for sure, opens up a whole bunch of new customers. And no doubt this is, you know, the effect of Thomas Kurian and his background and understanding of, of enterprise you know, Google shifting to to try and go after more traditional workloads makes so much sense. So very exciting move in, in the competition. Absolutely. And just to piggyback on what you said, Chris, I mean, Tom Kurian, just uh, almost like 10 to 11 weeks into the job and uh, seeing him on stage at, at the Google Next event was really, you know, awesome through. What I really like at the opening offset is when he actually was thanking Diane Green for all their leadership and her past previous work on making the GCP platform. I think so that that was a nice kudos on part of them. So, and just also what a big amount of people that was at the event. So I wasn't there last year. Apparently it was something like 20K people, but now there was close to more like 30,000 people. So, yeah, that was quite interesting and fun. I really enjoyed it and I look forward to the future one. So, yeah, it's funny. I didn't bring the stats to this episode, but in the 2018 next special, I have the stats of, of the growth in the, in the beginning. And it's something like it started out the first year, 2,500 people and then 10,000, then 20,000. And then this year, you know, I thought it was north of 30 as well. So it's a very much a growing cloud and the amount of conversations that I just had with at the booth with people about you know what they're doing and looking to do and their challenges it is really exciting it's fun to help enable businesses and see change and companies that you see every day like you know from sports teams <laughs> to you yeah. know people who make car parts it was just fascinating but anyway let's talk about another one that's had the pythian team fairly excited 
which is data fusion. Why don't you tell us where that came from and what it is? Absolutely. So I think it's Google made an acquisition of CDAP. So this is what that all fruitful investment came to be. So this is cloud data fusion. So this is really about a fully managed cloud native enterprise data integration ETL platform in the cloud. So this really drag and drop. So a lot of our customers in journey when we're going to the data platforms, the GCP, as an example, BigQuery, what that provides to you is that not only is data flow at play here where you can do your Python and Java data pipelines, but if you want to do more transformational source to destination with a drag and drop interface, that is what data fusion is all about. And that also was a game changer because Google was missing that play and offering in their platform. So by the acquisition of CDAP and offering that services, which is currently in beta, I have actually have access to it and most of the people do, it's just a great interface. And that will also bring a little bit more ease and pain to move data for customers that are either on-prem or willing to move their existing. Yeah, you know, I was really excited by this announcement too, because, you know, it really is time to take EETL or ELT, whatever you want to call it, to a visual tool that allows, you know, both visualizations as well, uh, not report visualizations, but you to visualize the steps and transformation and the steps in loading and, and add a GUI as well as, you know, the opportunity to code as well. While hopefully also you know presenting the opportunity for the hardcore coders out there to do it, but you know many of the database platforms solved this more than a decade ago, where you know enabling users who are not proficient hardcore Java programmers or Python programmers to to move and manipulate data, it just brings it a little bit more to the masses, right? Absolutely. And I think one of the key also offerings that benefits from that is that not only is it for data engineering or more a corporate enterprise IP, but this is also a tool that a lot of data analysts and data scientists can use on the GCP platform. So that is a key enable factor for them, too. So they'll be able to use that tool without relying more on the IT or dev people that are converting these projects to the cloud. Right, right. And and while, while bringing up productivity, hopefully as well, although I'm sure some will argue with me that they can, you know, bang out code faster than they can do some of that, and they're probably right. So another one was the BI engine that was added to BigQuery. Can you uh, explain what that is? Absolutely. So this is a fully managed petabyte scale, low cost analytics data warehouse, which is really what BigQuery is all about. But what is currently being announced, is, which is, is in beta, is a fully managed in-memory analysis that powers any types of visual analytics over big data with subsequent query response. And I think that is key through eye concurrency, simplified architecture, and smart performance tuning. So imagine if you a lot of people when they do analytics, they it's all about big data, true BigQuery. So BI Engine enables that with uh, in-memory analysis. So you can connect your data studios, or I think it's Looker is, is another tool that enables you to do that. So a large amount of volume of data with uh, sub-second fast response in building your visual analytics or visualization. I think that's also a game changer. So I look forward on a lot of customers to embrace that new offering. Yeah, I agree. And I mean, it, it's more ammo to the fight that you and I encounter daily with new customers, you know, wanting to adopt the Google Cloud platform and related technologies, but wanting their schemas to remain the same, wanting everything, you know, I don't want to change any of my reports, just make it, you know, which is akin to saying, I'd love to have a new Corvette, but I want to put my Hyundai Sonata motor in it because I just love that motor. And then why is why is my Corvette not very fast? 
you know, it's we have to continue to work with our customers and convince them so that they can take advantage of, of features just like this and, and more to come. Also of interest to me was, you know, cloud data catalog. Why don't you tell the audience what that is and why that's important? Well, that's another major announcement, true. So one of the things that was a little bit of a lacking is the ability to provide governance and this discoverability of data sets and data that you have on the GCP platform. So Cloud Data Fusion is all about a fully managed, it's cloud native enterprise data integration for quickly building and managing data pipelines. So it will enable organization to meta tag data and have it discoverable within your organization quickly. So it is a serverless offering. It's really about metadata as a service. And you'll have a central catalog, which would enable search and discovery for within the organization. And I think that's key because a lot of projects, when we start delivering these types of projects on the GCP platform, is all about the governance. Where's the lineage? Where's the auditability about all that metadata? And that's what data catalog brings to the table. And that's also a game changer, true? Because it's great to build all these applications, but how do they respond to other types of applications? And what's the discovery mechanism within the organization? So if you think about data scientists or analysts, so it's great that we all build these applications for them, but let's give them a little bit more about self-serve. And that's really what also Cloud Data Catalog is all about, is giving the power back to the folks within the organization for discovery. So I'm looking forward to that. So I've actually signed up and haven't received anything yet, but I'm looking forward to play with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, documenting data is not the most exciting topic, but if you have to, you know, if you think about all the data and the way we can load it into all of the public clouds, you know, if if nobody knows that it's there, or about it, then you know they load it again, or it's just not being used. So I think it's important. Yeah, and the only thing that I haven't scratched deeper enough on the data catalog is it is it only going to be on the GCP platform? So I need I hope that if it's not available now or in the near future, that will also extend that reach out to other external data sets, Drizzle, or, or like either on prem or maybe on on other vendors. I don't know, but that will be also something that will be fruitful too for the organization. Not only what you consume is you got an on the GCP platform, but if you can bridge that gap, because you may have hybrid cloud solutions, so it would be interested to bring over that information and be able to meta tag that information for discoverability for organizations. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Let's talk about Cloud Dataflow SQL. Yes, absolutely. So that was also announced and that's also another interesting one. So Dataflow right now only supports Python and Java. And depending on if you're using batch or streaming, Java is probably meant more for streaming for performance. And then a lot of people use Python, which is also great. But what Google announced now is the public alpha of it will let you build a pipelines with familiar standard SQL for either batch or streaming uh, processing pipelines. So I think that's also a great announcement because yeah, Java is, is quite a steep learning curve. And then Python has been the de facto language when it comes to either pipelining or data scientists for doing machine learning. And so having SQL now is also a game changer. So a lot of people within the community are more familiar with the SQL syntax. So I think that was a great announcement also. Yeah, yeah. It is, uh, you know, in SQL years ago, I remember when the NoSQL hype was going on, everybody was saying it's, you know, declaring SQL dead. Yet over the subsequent uh, months and years, SQL or SQL-like languages were then all added to all of those technologies. And, and rightly so, it's a common, easy-to-use language, so it makes a lot of sense. Well, exactly. And SQL, no SQL is still around, true? So um, I think that that battle was nothing 
to be worried about too. So in, in all good faith, there's a lot of databases out there. They're spinning up on, on uh, let's say, on, almost on a weekly basis, maybe exaggerating a little bit, but there's a lot of offerings. And it's not about which one is better or not, is what is suited for the customer, Drew. So all other vendors, especially GCP, they offer managed services, mm-hmm. but it also gives you the ability to bring other types of database workloads, SQL, new SQL, or relational within their platform. And again, that's why I'm quite happy that Google is going on that front and providing these open source databases, first class citizens on their platform. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. I agree. And the last one we were going to talk about today was auto scaling being added to Dataproc. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, so Dataproc is really about a managed Apache Spark and Hadoop services on the GCP platform. So all open source technologies. So what is cool with this announcement is that that Dataproc auto scaling, it really removes the burden associated with provisioning and decommissioning these Hadoop and Spark clusters within the GCP platform. So it provides the same serverless convenience that you find the rest of the data platform analytics within GCP. But now these ones will actually auto-scale depending on the types of jobs that you may uh, be running within the GCP platform, your MapReduce and everything. So they'll auto-scale as needed. So what needed to, to happen prior to that, you need to scale beforehand and knowing kind of like what your workload or our batch process jobs that you would run on Spark or Hadoop would be and configure them accordingly. Now, you would set a certain threshold in configuring your clusters, but the auto-scaling feature will remove that burden for you. So the auto-scale, depending on what is the need from your compute perspective mm-hmm. when you're running these jobs on Hadoop or Spark, I think that's also a great offering. So anything that it can abstract the complexity of actually using these services is a game changer. So that's a good one. So in behind the scenes, I'm sure what's happening is a lot of smart machine learning that interprets what your workload is and is able to auto scale according to the needs. So Mm -hmm. that's great. Yeah, I agree. Agreed. Well, uh, you know, that's a nice recap, I think, of what I also thought were the most important you know, announcements out of out of Google Next. So I, I think we'll wrap there. Since this is your first appearance on the Datascape and hopefully not your last, we have a tradition of doing something called we call the lightning round, where I ask you a couple of short fire questions where the audience gets to know you a little bit better about your work style and about your career. And you just kind of give a quick hit answer to to each question. Are you game to try? Absolutely. Okay, great. So Stefan, what project are you the most proud of in your career? Uh, there are several of them, but I guess what I like when I was is really when I was brought in with my peers into troubleshooting existing projects that were going sour or actually did not go as accordingly. So we were a little bit of a, a knitted team and we were uh, actually parachuted in some instance in some projects where it, everything was mayhem. So these types of projects are the ones that I that I appreciated the most and had uh, fun just exploring and learning. And it, you can't get better than that, true. So that's where I cut my teeth and then uh, gained a lot of experience. So some of them were actually related more from a data platform perspective. So anything from some source to target on delivering BI, business intelligence solution from a data, data warehousing perspective. What I also appreciated and being humble here is about performance tuning. True. So a lot of projects, they have delivered, but they're not performing as expected. So what try to identify the key problems and issue, root cause analysis in these types of projects is where I appreciate it most of the time when I was hands on on the keyboard and, and consulting. So, OK, good, good. Is there a book that's made a significant impact on your career that you would recommend? 
Absolutely. And this one is from people who may recall when the ones that are SQL Server fans, Callum Delaney, which wrote SQL Internals, SQL Server Internals, which was a great book. And that was a game changer. I think it was version 2000 or something like that. But I remember reading almost that book from start to finish. It just provided some technical depthness into how SQL Server internally works and what was the best practice in managing and, and administrating that platform, which is SQL Server. So I think that was a great book. Yeah. Okay. And standing or sitting desk? I would have to say, unfortunately, sitting, but I had the opportunity to do both. And if in due time, I may change my little work, work studio, but right now it's sitting. But I, I love standing, too. It's great. Okay. And uh, do you use a laptop or a desktop? I'm a laptop guy, so I can't recall the last time I used a desktop, So, okay. um, but definitely laptop. Okay. And sure. is that laptop a Mac or a PC? I'm a Mac guy. For several years now, I've actually converted to Mac. It's funny, even at working at Microsoft, I was using a Mac most of the time. But that today is, you know, I remember when people say, oh, you get a Mac. What are you doing? You work at Microsoft. <laughs> it was funny because a lot of people, even working at Microsoft, I had, you know, Macs running around. But I, yeah, so most of my gear is a Mac, but I do use a couple of Chromebooks running Linux or so, but uh, definitely a Mac guy. Okay. And... Are you an iPhone or an Android person? Ooh, so good question. So I used to be an iPhone guy. So I had an iPhone for 10 years, all the flavors and bells and whistles. But last year, I got myself a nice little Google Pixel 3, and I'm enjoying it. So I made the switch last year, and I'm not looking back. I'm looking forward to the uh, Pixel 4, so definitely Android. Yeah, yeah, I, I did that too. What is the best tool or app that you use on a daily basis? Oh, there's a lot of them. Definitely my terminal, Bash Shell. I'm more of a command line guy. Just a little story. I actually, most of my stuff personally stuff was running on Office 365. And last year I made the switch. So I'm, I'm a full G Suite consumer. I love the interactivity and the, uh, the fact that I can collaborate with easiness with my peers. I love that. So G Suite for sure. Definitely use that on a daily basis because I do a lot of you know, widgets and proof of concept validation for our customers and stuff. I'm more of a command line guy. So good. 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 And um, lastly, Stefan, if people want to get in touch with you, if they want to follow you on social media or, or whatnot, where can they find you? Absolutely. I'm on Twitter. Yeah, I would say I'm an average uh, Twitter guy, meaning that I do post once in a while and it's all related content to technology, especially now on the GCP platform. So my handle is S Frechette. And then I'm also on LinkedIn. I also provide some business contacts on LinkedIn. I think it's key and important. So yeah, that's where you can find me. But I also have a blog, which is stefanfrechette.com. And it will forward you now to uh, stefanfrechette.dev. And I try to, once in a while, if time permits, to put some good stuff that could be useful for the community out there. Great. And folks, we will have Stefan's contact info in the show notes on the Pythian blog. So you'll be able to you know, click on those links and follow him there. That's all the time we had for today, folks. The biggest compliment you can give us is by helping others to find us. And you can do that by writing a short, honest review on something like iTunes, or just telling a friend about the podcast. That's all and have a great day in the datascape. Navigating the Datascape.